This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Roundup. Each week on the Roundup, we take you inside the biggest local and state stories from the last seven days. Later on, we'll dive into the vaccine rollout in Illinois and Chicago, Mike Madigan trying to hold on to his speakership, and CPS teachers defying orders to come back to class. But we need to start with the shocking events that took place this week in D.C. A stunning phone call where President Trump has heard pressuring officials to overturn the election that he lost. We will never give up. We will never concede. Protesters are pushing their way into the Senate side. The Capitol Police came to my door, knocked extremely loudly and said, get out, get out, get out. And so I evacuated along with my staff. The scenes of chaos at the Capitol do not reflect a true America. Joseph R. Biden Jr. of the state of Delaware has received 306 votes. It's time to invoke the 25th Amendment and to end this nightmare. Joining us now to help break down those stories and more is Laura Washington, Chicago Sun-Times columnist and ABC7 political analyst. Laura, welcome back. Thanks. It's great to be with you. Also with us is WBEZ investigative reporter Dan Mihalopoulos. Hey, Dan. Hey. Now, for the first time ever, President Trump acknowledged a new administration will be taking over on January 20th. It comes just after he encouraged a mob of his supporters to storm Capitol Hill. Five people are dead, including a Capitol police officer who died last night, and dozens more were wounded. Laura, your reaction to the violence we saw Wednesday in Washington? Well, obviously, every sane person would agree it, it was just abominable, and there's just no defense of it at all. Um, what I think about uh, most is how we look to the rest of the world at, at a time when we need to be demonstrating leadership at a time when we're in tremendous worldwide COVID 19 crisis, and yet we've got chaos in our own, own capital. And, and as many people, have, uh, including many people in his own party, have said, you have to lie this at the feet of, of President Trump. This is not just about what he did the other day in terms of inciting um, this activity at, at the rally before things got out of hand. This has been the result of four years of fanning the flames of divisiveness in this country and putting Americans on opposite sides of being American. And so everything's coming home and roost in a really big way. Dan, what's on your mind? I saw a front page from Brazil today with uh, some of the insurrectionists shown um, standing uh, bare-chested um, with the flag painted on their face in the Capitol in front of uh, oil paintings of the founding fathers of the country. And the headline in this uh, Brazilian news magazine was Attack of the Barbarians. 
And so the point is, uh, for us, it's fundamental to our country, not only the peaceful transition of power and the respect of the consent of the governed, but the idea that we work things out in a peaceful manner, that we hash things out with our representatives who are elected and sent to Washington, and that we don't barge in to Congress. That's just not how our country works. And so uh, it was a very, very uh, market contrast to see again, uh, as we have seen over the past few years, uh, sporadic but very tragic flare-ups of violence as opposed to peaceful governance. A couple questions for you here, Laura. First, I want to start with this. You know, Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund announced he's resigning, effective January 16th. The department was, of course, widely criticized for how it handled the riots. Some officers were seen taking selfies, right, with, with Trump supporters as and, and helping them, guiding them to safety. Can you talk about the contrast between the police response to this largely white mob of Trump supporters versus how they treat Black Lives Matter protesters? When there are protests that involve urban protests, primarily that involve Black Lives Matter and other people in inner cities, the policing attitude is speedheads ask questions later. You see much more armor. You see much more policing going on in those situations. This demonstration, this this riot could have been very easily anticipated, and if any place should have been prepared for it, it should have been the police on Capitol Hill. They deal with these kinds of events almost every day, from the inauguration to, to rallies and marches, and yet they, they almost seem to have a lackadaisical attitude about it. You know, There's a lot of really important, serious questions to be asked, and I, my biggest one is, was there a little bit of support, a little bit of looking the other way with with these police officers? I mean, did these officers feel some kind of kindred spirits with some of these uh, protesters? Because, of course, these protesters and, and, and pro-Trump supporters mm-hmm. have often talk about being pro-police and being for the police. So maybe they thought they had some kindred spirits here. They found right. out they were wrong. Right. The Blue Lives Matter movement, right? Exactly. Now, Democrats Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker, and and the Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, they're calling for the president to be removed from office via the 25th Amendment, or Congress may move forward with impeachment. Many of our local representatives, even some Republicans, are are calling the pro-Trump mob domestic terrorists. Laura, let's listen to Illinois' Adam Kinzinger, and I'll get your reaction on the back end. All indications are that the president has become unmoored, not just from his duty, or even as of, but from reality itself. Section 4 of the 25th Amendment allows a majority of the cabinet and the vice president to assume the duties of the office of presidency until the president is able to himself. It's time to invoke the 25th Amendment and to end this nightmare. So I want to be fair, Representative Kinzinger has been vocal for a long time about the president. It's not like he's just all of a sudden having this come-to-Jesus moment, but what do you make, Laura, of these very loud calls for removal? Well, I think these loud calls, are, as you point out, are still primarily coming from Democrats. Uh, there's been a lot of condemnation on the part of the Republican leaders in, in Congress and outside of Congress to what happened uh, at the Capitol, but there hasn't been much movement or much vocal support, public support, for removing the president from office. And frankly, I, I feel like what I see coming is the same kind of scenario we had the last time we went through the impeachment process, when, when it was a very divided Congress and um, the Republican side was, you know, 
even if they were reluctant to, to support Trump and were dubious about some of the things that Trump was being accused of, they supported him, and that, and that impeachment happened, but there was no conviction to follow it. And I, I think beyond the fact that you're going to have a very divided Congress on this, I just don't think there's enough time uh, on the calendar left to either pursue a, a serious impeachment process or the 25th Amendment. But I, I did note that uh, Nancy Pelosi just this morning is reiterating her concern about the safety of the nation and the fact that she feels that the president has, has been acting in unhinged ways by asking uh, national security officials to keep an eye on the nuclear codes. There is a, a real concern here that we have to be careful about and watch Trump. But to be able to think that we're going to be able to remove him in the next few days, I think it may be unrealistic. Dan, you reported two Trump supporters from the Chicago suburbs were arrested back in D.C. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, two very different people and uh, two somewhat different cases. Both big Trump supporters. One was a tattoo artist from Roselle uh, named David Fitzgerald, and um, he was arrested by the police during one of the protests a few hours after uh, the insurrection, after the invasion of the Capitol itself was repelled. And the other guy uh, is gaining a lot of attention nationally and internationally, Bradley Rookstalis, a 52-year-old CEO of a, a data marketing company in Schaumburg. Uh, well, at least he was until he got arrested in the Capitol. Uh, he was part of the mob that went into there, and he says he didn't commit any of the violence, that he condemns the violence, and that he's deeply regretful that he went into the Capitol. But he was a Trump donor. Uh, and a donor to other Republican candidates and Republican causes. And now he's uh, been put on, on leave after he was arrested and charged with unlawful entry by the Capitol Police, who uh, is the same agency that uh, lost one of their members, one officer who was uh, participating in trying to repel the invasion of the pro-Trump mob, uh, ended up dying yesterday. Laura, the president was temporarily blocked from posting on, on Facebook and uh, Twitter suspended his account for about 12 hours on Wednesday. He's certainly back online today. He's tweeted earlier today that he's not going to be attending Joe Biden's inauguration. What are your thoughts? Well, it does raise a, a debate that's been raging in this country for years about the good and the bad of social media. I mean, the, good, the good, of course, is that it's an indispensable way of communicating in our in our world today, but it also puts out a lot of misinformation. And one of the one of the challenges right now is learning reality from some of the craziness that you see on social media. Some of these social media sites that are dominated by Trump supporters are not even acknowledging their own responsibility in in those riots. And they're and they're saying things like, you know, it, it was Antifa that was really responsible for it. They're echoing the same kind of falsehoods yeah. that, the, that the Trump administration has become known for. And the question is that. If you really do believe in free speech, I mean, you may be able to shut off the Donald Trump's Twitter feed for a few days, but you can shut shut off some of these dominating themes, these right. very negative and very divisive themes that, are, that you're seeing out there on social media. Let's shift gears, because also this week, the Reverend Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff made history after winning Georgia's two U.S. Senate seats. Warnock is going to be only the 11th black senator in U.S. history. Ossoff, the youngest Democrat elected to the Senate since Joe Biden in 1973, also the first Jewish senator from Georgia. Dan, this means Democrats win control of the Senate. Uh, yes, and it could be um, very significant um, for um, Joe Biden as well as he as he looks ahead to trying to get his agenda through there. 
uh, everyone was saying, well, you know, Biden might be stymied by Mitch McConnell in much the same way that Mitch McConnell had um, set out and, and often successfully stymied President Barack Obama's agenda. But having uh, said all that, uh, let me inject a different point of view. I talked to some Biden supporters going back to even election night, and some of them were actually happy with the prospect of a split government in the sense of there could have still been a Republican Senate because, you know, they're more centrist, some of them. And privately, they would say, well, if Biden doesn't have control of the Senate and the House and the White House, obviously, then there's less pressure on him to push through the agenda of people further to the left of him and further to the left of Nancy Pelosi, the squad uh, and others, uh, Bernie Sanders and others who are more uh, to the left of the president now will have higher expectations because they do have the House and both chambers of Congress. That's WBEZ's Dan Mahalopoulos. Also joining us today is Laura Washington of the Sun-Times and ABC7. Dan, Laura, Let's make a turn and go through some other big stories happening this week. Another grim milestone in Illinois' battle with COVID-19. The state has now seen more than one million cases of the virus. As more get the vaccine, officials say restrictions soon could be loosened. Wisconsin prosecutors say they will not be charging the Kenosha police officer who shot Jacob Blake, leaving him paralyzed. Illinois lawmakers returned to Springfield today for the first time since May. Security is expected to be tied at the Illinois Capitol, given this week's insurrection in Washington, D.C. And we were talking a few minutes ago about local lawmakers lining up against the president. But a freshman congresswoman from our state is making headlines for another reason. Mary Miller quoted Hitler in a speech. Prepared words. She wasn't making it up as she was going. In a speech she gave to the House at the pro-Trump rally just before it became a riot. Yeah, she said, uh, can I repeat what she said um, <laughs> as a quote? I mean, yes. it was uh, any time that you're, you're bringing up Hitler, you're potentially insulting the whole world. She said, quote, Hitler got one thing right. Whoever has the youth has the future. She has apologized today. She kind of half backtracked yesterday. That didn't work. And so mm-hmm. I guess it was a full apology today. But I don't think it, it came out of nowhere. I actually saw a video of her husband, who is a, a Republican state representative. Her husband was recording these remarks at the rally uh, for President Trump. This was right before the mob action at the U.S. Capitol. And her husband, the state representative, was saying, we're in a war of civilizations. We're trying to preserve our culture. We're against democratic terrorists. The whole free market is now being attacked by these socialists and communists from within our country. And so when you when you hear those kind of remarks, well, the Hitler remark is just uh, one more level further. Yeah. Let's talk about that other big story, COVID-19. Yesterday, the state surpassed one million cases. Wow. It's now the fourth state in the U.S. to reach that milestone. Dan, where do we stand on this vaccine rollout? You know, the vaccine rollout is just going uh, slower than we had hoped. Uh, I talked to some some colleagues who cover the pharmaceutical industries, and they were thinking that maybe all of us would have it by March. That would have been faster than had been promised. Of course, people were talking more about like the middle of the year, uh, but uh, it's going very slowly. There are some places where you can um, sign up. Uh, my doctor sent us uh, the sign-up list, and I should uh, share them on Twitter later on today. 
mm. uh, with everyone uh, for the Please various counties. Right. I was like, I want to see this list. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's not really a list like to get into a club. I think they, they ask you a bunch <laughs> of questions to determine how far up the priorities uh, you should be. And uh, as as a middle aged guy with uh, fortunately not not too many uh, health issues, um, I think I'm pretty far down the list. But um, hopefully uh, we can get it to um, frontline uh, workers, teachers. And there's there's a lot of debate about who should be further up uh, yeah. the list. But w- it remains to be seen whether we can reach that goal of uh, President Biden, which is 100 million Americans vaccinated in his first 100 days, uh, because the clock starts ticking on that in, in 12 days. Well, Mayor Lightfoot says we need more. She says the federal government must step up and supply more vaccine doses. Let's listen. If you want to have us bend this curve and give people confidence that they can resume their normal lives, there must be an exponential increase in the amount of vaccine that is available to cities and towns all over this country. Chicago Public Health Commissioner Dr. Allison Arwoody said earlier data shows that there may be a racial gap in who gets vaccinated. Laura, we know black and brown communities are being disproportionately impacted by this virus. Absolutely. And there, there's the data shows that one reason why Governor Prisker is deviating from the, the national recommendations on who gets the virus when. And he's, he's announced this week that he's going to lower the qualified age for the next uh, next stage of uh, vaccination to 65 instead right. of 75 has, has been recommended nationally because many people of color, blacks and Latinos, uh, have a much higher death rate and casualty rate in, in, in that, that 65 to 75 category. It's real and it's an important way that Prisker is reaching out and trying to figure out a way to make sure that, that people of color and people who may be less advantaged have an opportunity to get the vaccine earlier. But we've lost weeks of time because of the president's obsession with the election. Instead of focusing on vaccine distribution, instead of putting the entire power of his presidency in the White House behind that, he has spent time on other things. So we are really, really far behind. And it's going to be very difficult for, I mean, by the time that Biden takes over, he's he's going to already be far behind. Well, Dan, earlier you mentioned teachers. So I want to talk about CPS reopening plans. Mayor Lightfoot held a press conference this morning and said teachers who don't show up to class Monday won't get paid. And this comes after half of all the teachers that were scheduled to be back this past Monday defied the city's orders and they stayed home. So the Chicago Teachers Union is proposing that schools delay in-person learning until employees are vaccinated. What are your thoughts on that proposal? You know, I think we have to look at it in the context of the entire relationship between the Chicago Teachers Union and Mayor Lightfoot, which has become extremely toxic. It goes back to the campaign. You know, the, the Teachers Union wanted her opponent, Tony Preckwinkle, went all in for her. But that was, you know, one of two successive mayoral races where uh, CTU bet on the horse that did not win. And um, or is it the third consecutive race, I guess. But uh, what we had there was a toxic relationship. And now you add in this pandemic, you have teachers saying we're not going to show up and some did indeed not show up. You have the mayor replying that, you know, you could get fired. Potentially, CPS is saying if you if you don't show up to work and some would say that's typical of any job, if you don't show up, you could get fired. But um, the teachers have a very strong contract that they've won through strikes and through other very tense relationships with uh, this and previous mayors. And so 
Uh, as far as getting them all vaccinated, I, I don't know. I mean, do they really have the capacity to do that, even if they if they wanted to do it? When we're talking about um, frontline workers, uh, perhaps still waiting for vaccinations, and they're still working on that first category of of elderly people with underlying conditions who are mm-hmm. in nursing homes. Are, is that really a realistic proposal? Or is it more of the gamesmanship that we've seen in this relationship over the years? Well, I don't know. What do you think, Laura? I think it's a little bit of both. I think that it is reasonable to think about extending the school year because we do need time to roll out these vaccinations. And the teachers are certainly an important category to be vaccinated in the next round. But there's a real concern here about Black and Latino students because those are the ones, as the mayor would point out, that are being most affected. They represent the majority of Chicago public school students. They represent the majority of parents. And if you look at some of the polls and surveys you've seen, the parents are equally concerned about the safety of their children. And there's just no easy answer for this. Laura, coming back to you here, because I want to turn to the latest from Kenosha. This week, officials announced no officers will face criminal charges for shooting Jacob Blake seven times at point blank range, paralyzing him. Your reaction to the news? I don't think it's going to satisfy a lot of people who just look at the basic facts of the case and, and saw the video and believed that there was, if maybe if not intentional police misconduct, certainly there was questions about whether or not police, the police officers involved followed protocol or, or followed the kind of training that they should have had. So mm-hmm. I think those questions are going to continue to be out there. And unfortunately, you know, the young man who was shot is going to have to live with, with the burden of that the rest of his life. And Dan, this week, Kyle Rittenhouse, the teenager from North Suburban Antioch who shot three people, killing two of them in Kenosha, he pleaded not guilty to all the charges. Briefly tell us the latest there. Rittenhouse, since his arrest and since that shooting of three people and and the killing of two of them in in Kenosha in the wake of uh, Jacob Blake's uh, shooting by police, uh, in that time, Kyle Rittenhouse has become this sort of cause celeb. For right-wing people, they've raised millions of dollars for him. I think it was a My Pillow guy who helped uh, bail him out, and the, and the former child star Ricky Schroeder who helped bail him out. And so he's a free uh, young man, a uh, very young man, but uh, he is an accused uh, murderer, and um, he plans to to say that it was self-defense. And uh, he has in his corner a number of people on the on the right in right wing media and all the way up uh, to the president. But what will matter is what happens in a Kenosha County courthouse Um, like Laura. um, I was very concerned for Kenosha. It's practically a a suburb of Chicago. It's at the other end of a metro line from downtown Chicago. And I I took a drive uh, through there recently uh, for the first time uh, since the events um, of last year. And it's a huge area that is boarded up, considering how how it's not a very large town. And you see hashtag Kenosha Strong uh, marked everywhere. Uh, and this time Kenosha was was strong, uh, fortunately, because it's a lot for, for that uh, relatively small town to go through the last few months. Well, I want to quickly touch on one final story. Three Democrats, Representative Kathleen Willis of Addison, Representative Ann Williams of Chicago, and Representative Stephanie Kifowit of Oswego, they have publicly declared their intention to replace Michael Madigan as Speaker of the House. Laura, what do we know about them? Well, they're, they're all, um, you know, prominent and well-known, particularly now, uh, 
legislators who who happen to all be women, and I think that's no accident because the women are in the majority in in, uh, in the House right now, but they are also been very vocal for several years about Mike Madigan's leadership, particularly around how he's handled sexual harassment issues and other uh, and other issues involving women in his tenure. And so these women are stepping up and, and saying that they want to be public in terms of challenging them. There have been several forums that some of them have spoken at and appeared at. Uh, African American Black Caucus has had a forum. Latinos have had a forum. Women ha- have had one. Mike Madigan is appearing at all of them and making his case. Uh, he has some support. He has support from, from most of the Black Caucus, from most of the Latino Caucus, but he's still a long way from having enough votes to be a reelected speaker later this month. Yeah. Well, Dan is about six votes shy of the 60 needed to win. Get out your crystal ball for us very quickly. Predict <laughs> what is going to happen next. Uh, I knew you'd do that to me. Uh, this is a very <laughs> uh, difficult situation to predict. I mean, we've been in a gridlock situation for, for quite a while with Madigan not having enough votes, but nobody else having uh, nearly as many as him or, or enough to become the next speaker. We've, we've seen even the Republicans try to inject themselves in the situation, although they're a super minority uh, in that chamber. So one of two things is going to happen. Either Madigan is going to have to find a way to break off some of these 19 who are holding firm and saying that they won't support him no matter what, mm-hmm. or maybe even some Republicans make some deals, or someone's going to have to fill that vacuum and Ann Williams, I thought, was a very interesting case. All, all three of the, the potential challengers, all three are women. I think that's very interesting when we consider Madigan had a Me Too scandal within his organization, his political organization. Mm-hmm. We also have to look ahead and consider where is the federal investigation of uh, Comad and Madigan's allies going? He hasn't been charged. He denies wrongdoing, but he's certainly been um identified by the federal prosecutors as the person who is a beneficiary of the scheme ComEd has admitted to of of bribing uh, in Springfield to get their way and and ultimately to raise our power bills. That could also uh, come in in the middle of this process because that investigation is ongoing and fascinating. Well, next week will also be an interesting one to watch. That's it for the Friday News Roundup. Thanks to our panel, Dan Mehalopoulos from WBEZ, of course, and Laura Washington of the Chicago Sun-Times and ABC7. Appreciate your time, folks. Thank you. And that's WBEZ's weekly news roundup. Make sure you don't miss a single roundup. All you have to do is hit the subscribe button. You'll get the roundup every Friday and great conversations from Reset Monday through Thursday. And on the weekend, you'll get bonus podcasts like our weekly check-in with Dr. Mia Teramina, where she answers your questions about the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.